Gonna make it a monthly podcast uh, where we, the hosts, learn what it's like to exist in 44 degree heat. Friggin' awful! It is the worst. Can we make an episode about the creativity inherent in sitting in a pool? <laughs> yes, deal. Frig! <laughs> Holy crap! It's hot. Do you want to do any banter before we get the episode started? Act all witty. My eyes are sweating too hard for me to even read a script right now. Do you <laughs> honestly think that I can cobble together enough moisture in my brain right now to conduct the neural spark required for spontaneous thought? Preposterous. You cobbled together that metaphor fairly easily. That's reflexive, Taylor. It's like the twitching of a dead man. Well, if you're into similes now, you must be getting tired. I'll tell you what. I'm going to go find a sizzle sound effect. And I will play it when the last drop of water evaporates from my body. <laughs> Sounds good. So maybe we should just... Nope. There it goes. <laughs> I am just dust and bones now. Maybe we should just go ahead and meet our guest for this episode, hmm? So how does this work? I've actually never been interviewed before, so I am I have no idea what I'm doing. Ah, that sounds like Sydney Moore speaking. Sydney is... Predominantly an illustrator, a comic book illustrator. I also do a lot of painting, and I take care of other people's pets when... Uh, that's sort of my day job. I'm a pet sitter as well. Interesting. Is this a corporate biz, or is this something that you do independently? Is this just Sydney Moore pet sitter? Uh, it is actually, as of this year, it is Sydney Moore pet sitter. I started my own small company. Um, I used to work through a cat resort in Vancouver. Um, yeah, it sounds really fancy. But now, yeah, I'm my own free agent. Wow. Basically, I'm unemployed is what I'm getting at. <laughs> sounds like a pretty full schedule. Comic artist, illustrator, pet sitter. Taylor, if you think that it stops there, then you have not read the outline that I sent you for this month's podcast. I didn't. I'm actually just reading the script that you gave me. It told me to be incredulous. Now you're supposed to say your line about Sydney having many talents. Sydney has many talents. Watercolor, both in paint and pencil form. Ink with pen and brush. Graphite, wool, uh, woodblock sometimes, lino block. I do soft sculpture, hard sculpture, like paper mache and, and polymer. I also make a lot of my own foods. I make all my own sodas and soaps and stuff like that. I also write science fiction short stories. Nobody sees those. <laughs> Holy crap. I do not have that many skills. Listen, she doesn't have just like one art form that she focuses on. What are we going to call this episode? Like, you know, normally we have the photographers, the painters. Mm -hmm. well, what are we going to do? Sydney uh, kind of has her own term for herself, since she works in such panoplastic hobbies. That's not a word. You see, in uh, 1987, when I was three years old, Taylor, 
Me too. The Japanese video game company Square released a game called Final Fantasy for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Ooh, boy. The game stood out at the time for offering a variety of character classes for the player to choose between. Warriors were strong fighters who could use powerful weapons. Black mages were spellcasters who specialized in offensive magic like fire, light, and slep. They didn't have a lot of space for extra letters, huh? No, they didn't. White mages were spellcasters who used healing magic to cure their allies. And among all these specialists, these focused classes with their own particular unambiguous functions, there was the Red Mage. The Red Mage could cast white magic and black magic, and even use a sword, but it never specialized as specifically as its counterparts. It couldn't use the great big swords or cast the really high-level magic. Ooh, like furt or... It was actually Uxfer and Zap. But close enough. Yeah. Sydney identifies with this red mage character type, always dabbling in a dizzying number of mediums. I, I call myself a red mage uh, a lot of times. You know. <laughs> All the different arts. Yeah, but I, you know, I never get any of those really high level spells. <laughs> so with this diversification of her talents, with so many skills and so many hobbies, how does Sydney get anything done? <laughs> I mean, I added canning to my repertoire two years ago, and I haven't knitted anything since. I noticed I'm, that. I'm pretty sure I only have slots for, like, two skills at a time. Yeah, well... Okay, Sydney admits that she does share my own greatest weakness when it comes to creative expression. I am a master procrastinator. Like, I take it to epic levels. Procrastination has never looked so good when I... Like, it, it's really an art form. Yeah, I hear that. I, I do need a deadline. And sometimes, you know, that deadline has to be self-imposed. I don't know about you, Taylor, but I find that setting deadlines for myself is only partially effective. Oh, I totally agree. Because you only have yourself to satisfy. And, you know, realistically, you're probably going to give yourself an extension if you need it. Yeah, I think I'm great. And I, you know, I can do no wrong. Sydney and I are pretty good buddies. We understand one another. In these cases, I find that bringing in an external audience really forces my hand. Uh, take this podcast, for example. It's a great, it's a great example. Every month, I have to force myself to edit this thing. I usually force you. It is a lot of work, and it takes a lot of time. And with us being so busy in our lives right now and having basically no free time anyways, I'm always tempted to let it slide for a month. The past mm. four episodes, I think, I've been ooh, just on the verge of letting it go. We've only done six. I know! I'm aware of that! So because it's public art form... Yes, exactly. We are beholden. There's this perceived responsibility, even if nobody's really holding us to it. So is that what Sydney does? Yeah, to some degree. But she also has other ways to motivate herself. You see, I mentioned Final Fantasy before. You may remember. Uh, yeah. And it's no coincidence that Sydney refers to herself as a character class from a video game. I really enjoy challenges. I guess I'm really just, I'm a gamer at heart. And that's actually, you know what? I think it's great to look at art like that. It, it is a game and it's, it's fun. It should be fun. So she like, she plays art, like, like playing a game. You're making this sound very simple, Taylor. Well, what we're saying, we being myself and the audio clips of Sydney that I'm playing back in appropriate order, is that sometimes to motivate yourself, and you should understand this very well, given the format of this podcast, sometimes to motivate yourself, you need to feel the rush of competition. 
I just, I like the competition. I can't get anything done without competition, even if it's self-competition. And I think that's why the 30-day challenges are great. 30-day what? Whoop, too soon. Ladies and gentlemen, on this episode of We're Gonna Make It, The Red Mage. So who is Sydney Moore? Well, amongst other things, she is a very polite artist who has said some of the nicest things about our show that I've maybe ever heard. The like the quality sounds really great. It sounds very much like um, something you would hear on like uh, NPR or something like that. I was reminded of Radio Lab. I am putting that in the show. Oh, there you go. That's not uh, a soundbite that's going to get cut. I was much relieved after hearing the quality of editings. I knew that you would make me sound good no matter what. Whoa! So that can now be, like, the soundbite we used to promote the show, right? No kidding, yeah. I was reminded of Radio Lab. Man. So, okay, we talked about procrastination before. Does Sydney find that owning her own super cute puppy cuddling business gets in the way of her artwork? It's gotten in the way of a few things. Like, I, I quit uh, roller derby because of it. I didn't have time to play and work as much as I was. It's definitely affected uh, my illustration in that I now have way more time to be producing art. So whereas before, I don't know, like a nine to five, um, actually, I, I always get teased by friends because I, I don't really work nine to fives. I work like eight to twos, you know, but um, working a, a consistent day job, you know, especially in customer service, which is what I was predominantly working before getting into illustration you're just drained at the end of the day. And so having the job that I have now where, you know, I'm not socially uh, drained, uh, you know, at the end of a work day, it's really just me hanging out with cats and dogs. It's kind of stoked my creative fire more than, than a normal day job would. Kind of like when I became a substitute teacher and I found that I had all of a sudden a ton of free time to pour into creative projects. So when did Sydney start actually accumulating skills for her pantheon of talents? This is going to sound so cliche. But I guess, like, I've, I've been drawing for as long as I can remember. When I was a kid, I used to uh, illustrate, like, I'm talking, like, two, three years old. I've got, my mom has saved them, uh, storybooks that I would illustrate and then dictate uh, to her that she would then write out for me. Um, and they're really silly and, you know, you know, like a three-year-old made them. Um, but it was something I was really passionate about and I was always working on. Um in a way, I was even more productive when I was a kid because you're not so uh, caught up in your own neuroses and like, you know, oh, is it good enough? You're just creating all the time. Mm-hmm. I've always been drawing. When I was really little, my grandfather gave me a set of oil paints, which were probably far too toxic for my <laughs> age group. Um, but like I was, you know, I was playing around with oils when I was like four years old. But like it's always been kind of my main focus and what about comics? When did that start up? In grade school, I actually started this collective uh, with a couple of friends, and it was called Steel Comics. It's catchy. It stood for uh, Sydney, Tyler, Eric, Aaron, and Liam. That's good. We were uh, we were also in the gifted programs. So we didn't have, I mean, it was pretty much just us, our small band of friends. So we'd basically just hang out in the library and make comics. And then in high school, I got my hands on photocopier. Mm-mm. And yeah wasn't a great student. But you so. were in the gifted program. What happened, Sydney? Yeah, um, I, I 
I like wouldn't show up for class. I wouldn't uh, like hand projects in, you know, I'd get like B's or A's when I did do the project. Yeah, I don't know. I've always, you know what, I've always really struggled with social anxiety and, uh, and depression. And, and so I think school just wasn't, I was bullied a lot in high school. And uh, I ended up actually dropping out of high school in grade 11 because I just couldn't, it wasn't a priority for me. Yeah. And it wasn't, uh, I grew up in a really small town called Beaverton. That kind of says it all, I it think. It really does. Yeah. Beaverton, Ontario. comics and my zine at the time that I was I was self-publishing and selling you know like in the hallway at lunch was really a, a, a good a, a good escape for me like it really helped me to kind of figure out that this was something that I wanted to do professionally or no like just you know it, it really cemented the, mm-hmm. the the love of it I think for me and and the fact that it it was really cathartic so I think that's something that I've been able to return to as an adult. After high school, Sydney moved to Petersboro and worked in a small studio her dad set up for her. She was painting at the time, and eventually her art brought her out west to Vancouver. She moved out to BC with her then-boyfriend and a suitcase, and wound up working a full-time job to help support him as he went to school. Hmm, that's familiar. Recognize that, do you? Hmm. She did also dabble in post-secondary education herself. I did a year of college, which I didn't finish either. And... (laughs) What were you taking? What were you uh, studying? Uh, I was taking art. You know what? It's really funny, actually. It turned out to be cheaper for me to take a year of fine arts and then be covered under insurance to get some dental work done and to actually just pay for the dental work out of my pocket. $1,500 to go to school for a year or three grand and change for this uh, dental work that I needed done. So I went to school. That's hilarious. What a bargain. And then you got some, some coursework out of it, too. I got like seven months of education out of it. Great. <laughs> It actually was. It was a really good experience. Um, I don't have a diploma or anything, but I did learn from it. And that's, I think, more important than the paper. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, yeah, I, I, I kind of started doing comics again. Kind of dabbled with autobio, which I'm really not comfortable with. What's autobio? Well, it's where a comic writer or artist uh, creates a autobiographical comic strip usually daily in which they just sort of embellish on aspects of their own lives, right? It's usually observational. It's okay. it's uh, a very sort of personal medium, and it can be very tricky to work in because of that. It is, and it's, like, I guess I'm I'm more like, um, I prefer to watch other people than be watched. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I'd, I'd rather yeah. creep on other people's uh, experiences <laughs> than open myself up. I guess that's kind of being human, right? Most people would rather that. I imagine so, yeah. Well, no, there's, there's something very invasive about trying to do an autobio comic, that little kind of slice of life thing. Like, yeah. That's that's your life that you're slicing into. Exactly. And I totally admire people who can do that and do it well, but I'm never really surprised when, you know, some of those artists come back and say like, oh God, I said too much. Or like, you know, years <laughs> later, they're like, why did I do that? Yeah. Uh, it's a really good experience for a lot of people too, but I think it is, like you say, it's a really fine line. So what about someone who writes a story where their hero is a stand-in for them? It's not an autobio, but it still kind of imitates their life. Like any anyone who's a storyteller, like anything that you create, you're putting a bit of yourself into it. Uh, <laughs> any story you tell, you're bringing your own experience to the table. So everything's kind of autobio. Um, so that's kind of what I say, say to myself. Like, yes, I do autobio, but the characters look and act and sound differently than I do. Now, after growing up in Ontario, 
what was her motivation to come out west here? I understand her boyfriend wanted to go to school, but why Vancouver in particular? Well, BC had a certain appeal to Sydney. She had an uncle who lived on Denman Island. And so it was always kind of romanticized for me, I think. Like, uh, he's also a, an artist. And so he would, like, send me drawings of bald eagles and totem poles and, like, you know, really oh, stereotypical yeah. BC stuff, right? Yeah. Ooh, they got her with the totem poles. That stuff is potent. I know. What hope did she have? But it does seem now that she's uh, broken the spell and is looking to move back to Ontario. Aw, she's heading back? Um, yeah, I'm going to start a, a farm, an organic farm. Oh, wow. And uh, and do illustration in the evenings, yeah. That's a, that's pretty ambitious. Yeah, it's, well, we had, my mom had a hobby farm when I was growing up, and I always really loved it. As I mentioned earlier, I have a lot of social anxiety, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of that really just stems from living somewhere that I doesn't suit me. Like, I love a lot of aspects of Vancouver, but I'm not, I'm a pretty introverted person. Um, I don't like a lot of noise, like, you know, or like a lot of people's noises, <laughs> like kids playing, you know, the sound mm-hmm. of that infuriates me sometimes. Like, it's just like, just, you know, I would just want to be in some trees yep. alone. Um, I kind of decided instead of struggling constantly with my social anxiety, maybe I'm just better suited to hanging out with animals all day because that's really what I love. Frig, that sounds fantastic. I know, she's kind of got the right idea, doesn't she? Yeah, it's, uh, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, you know, when I retire, one day, when I retire, this will happen. And I kind of got to thinking, you know, like, I'm I'm, put, I'm almost 30, um, which is, you know, I've, I've heard from many people, it's the perfect time to kind of leap into something new. And uh, and why not now? I did I did the crazy thing of following my uh, my illustration career and, and comics kind of more full time. Uh, so so why not this too? <laughs> Well, enough about the past and enough about the future. What are the haps in the present? Well, Sydney does a ton of work here and there. She's part of a comics collective. I'm a member of Cloudscape Comics, which is like a huge comics collective in uh, Vancouver. She also says she's looking to start a collaboration with a friend. And shockingly enough, he's actually going to pay her to do comic work. Which happens so rarely, uh, especially for me, um, as in never before. Uh, it's going to be a webcomic, too, which I'm not as well versed in. I tend to work very traditionally, pen and ink and actual real paper. I can't really use Photoshop. So right now, I'm kind of trying to learn how to use Photoshop <laughs> because I would also like to start a webcomic. And I'm working on my comic, Gog Mulligan. What's a Gog Mulligan? I'm a big fan of Dungeons & Dragons. And uh, Gog Mulligan is kind of a love letter of sorts to Dungeons & Dragons. Gog Mulligan is a regular comic that Sydney draws about a goblin rogue who gets into zany antics in sort of a fantasy world. Has she done comic work that isn't about Dungeons and Dragons? Taylor, you're being closed-minded. But yes, she has. I did a, a project called um, Homo Erectus for the Paltry Sapien, which is like a pretty left-wing like digital magazine. That was actually probably the most web comic-y thing that I've done, um, because it was very regular updates, same format, dark humor, kind of kind of sketch comedy, some gross-out humor. That was kind of a fun place to play with. I have a lot of gross humor that I really enjoy, and dark humor. I saw the comic that is a poetic request by a tapeworm to live inside your guts. It's amusing and kind of disturbing. When I'm tabling at conventions, I've got comics on my table. You know, I don't want, like, someone's, like, six-year-old to come up and, like, you know... <laughs> Uh, read a joke about bestiality, but, um... But there's a place for that. There's a place for that, and, um, the internet is it. 
Homo erectus was a really, you know, that was a, a fun kind of cathartic uh, project. Something I'll probably never put into print, uh, but a lot of fun to do. So as an artist, some of her income comes from commissions. Some comes from projects like the webcomic she'll hopefully get paid for. Where does the rest of it come from? Like, aside from pet sitting? Well, uh, she does have an online store. Now, how much of her total income does that account for? Approximately 0%, I would say. <laughs> I make the odd sale, but I sell more at conventions. Like, I'll have two or three really good weekends a year. That, you know, that, that's my paycheck. That'll so that's... Yeah, that's that's Christmas, yeah. the big the big it's, bonus season. So, do you spend a lot of time preparing for conventions? Not as much as I should. <laughs> I do have like a convention kit that I think I think most comic artists with like a few conventions under their belt, you know, you got things that work for you that work with your aesthetic. Mm. Um, certain certain layouts that you find, you know, you hone them over time. Yeah. Have more vertical display, you know, stuff like that. Tell me a little bit about being at a convention, trying to sell your wares and draw people in. How does this work? It's super exciting and terrifying for me all at the same time. It's kind of a bit of like trial by fire. Like you're really just thrust into this crowd of people who mm-hmm. are really eager to talk to independent uh, comic artists, especially at a, an event like VanCaf where, you know, you've got all these hardcore indie fans coming out. It's kind of overwhelming after a while. Like, you know, you need to, like, have a booth buddy. So, like, be like, can you please watch my booth? I just need to go, like, sit somewhere alone for 10 minutes and kind of, you know, defrag a little bit. Especially multi-day conventions. You know, day two, you know, you've talked to, like, a thousand people. You're kind of hoarse and your legs are tired because I never sit at conventions. But it's super cool to talk to that many people about your art. You know, you don't, you don't get, like, hundreds of people then following you. But the two or three people that you make really a solid connection with. That's so cool. I surprised myself by having a fan. It's super tiny, but I have a little tiny fan base that every convention, you know, if they're in the same city, they will come up and, you know, we'll catch up from last year kind of thing. All right. Um, Yeah, it's really cute. And I didn't have that, you know, like two years ago. You kind of make fans all over. And by fans, I I mean, you know, like, you know, two counts as plural. (laughs) But every show you do, I end up coming back with, you know, a couple more followers on my Tumblr, a couple more hits on my website every week, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So um, it's really cool to know that you don't just need to connect with people over the Internet. There's still a really great way to touch base face to face. So presumably at these conventions and shows, she's showing off a diverse selection of material. You know, a lot of it's just comics. And uh, Sydney makes a pretty good argument that just a comic on its own is actually pretty diverse in its own right. I was laughing about how like being a red mage is kind of a bad thing in a way, but it's also a good thing um, because you just the you can't hear my dog say can you? I can, and oh, it's great. Yes. No, it's good. Sorry. It builds it builds um, character. It's <laughs> they're idiots. Um, just the nature of comics, um, you do have to specialize in a lot of different things. Like not only do you need to know how to use a pencil. Or digital uh, software. You need to know about typography and design, book design. Uh, if you're printing, web design. If you're if you're publishing online. And because comics are such a, it's kind of a DIY industry. Like most people working in comics today are self-employed. They're not working for one of the big three, being Dark Horse, Marvel, or DC. Right? Like most people are either working through a small publishing house, self-publishing, you know, uh, crowdfunding all of their work, or just publishing online. And mm-hmm. you know, most of their money is coming from T-shirt sales and prints and, and stuff like that. Which means that, of course, you need to be able to make T-shirts. Yeah, exactly. Or at least know people who do. You have to be good at marketing yourself. You have to, you know. Um, be good at doing interviews because those come up. <laughs> Aw, that's kind of cute. 
so yeah, I think it just kind of comes with the territory. Like most comic artists started not as comic artists too, right? Like uh, fine art painters or sculptors or, or writing. There's a lot of writers. I kind of still consider myself a writer first, even though I'm far less experienced. But I think in the end, comics are about story and, and you are a storyteller above all, you know, like your, your art helps you tell that story, but it's not as important as the story. But if she's not showcasing her writing work as much as her illustration, how does she keep that blade honed? Well, the same way she does with all of her skills. Competition. Yeah, I've, uh, I've won NaNoWriMo a couple of times. NaNo? National Novel Writing Month. Uh, when you task yourself with writing a book in a month, there's a big community around it and a lot of support, as well as accountability. People will know if you slack off or fail outright, so the pressure is on as soon as you make your intentions public, which is what NaNoWriMo and most of these other formalized creative challenges like this are about. I've been doing NaNoWriMo on and off for about 10 years. Well, I guess almost since it like became popular on the internet. Wow. I, I like the 30-day challenges a lot. Um, I don't always, you know, make something every day. The first time I did it, I, like, pooped out after, like, four days. Second time, I made it, like, a week. The third time, I made it two weeks. Now I'm coming into the home stretch, and I actually have done something every day. I just haven't posted it. So now it's like, okay, that's enough. You know, next time, maybe you'll post everything. <laughs> so so tell me, about, tell me about the concept of a 30 days project. You, you make something every day for 30 days. Um, there, there have been some studies, my understanding, that it takes 30 days to build a habit. I think that's kind of the idea behind these 30-day challenges, hmm. that a month is an easy bite of time. You know, it's a, it's a big chunk of time. It's a big commitment, but it's possible. You know, you can, you can totally do it. You can write 50,000 words in a month. You know, it's really only 1,600 words a day. You can draw something every day. It doesn't have to be great. It just has to be there. The 30-day project has been great for getting out ideas that, like, you know, your inner editor poo-poos and says, like, hey, this isn't actually that great. And sometimes you surprise yourself. And you know what, Taylor? That is a perfect transition into our challenge for this month. Mm, I'm not sure that makes me happy. So for your challenge, in the style of a red mage, I want you guys to create five unique pieces of art. Diversify your, your skill set. Five unique art pieces. Yeah, cool, because we don't have enough other stuff to do right now. Tough nuggies. Ah, uh, she's right. And, okay, actually, I think it would be sort of great to have an enforced creative time, because it's like, even if I have a bunch of stuff I need to do, I'll be able to say, nope, art time. I got no choice. Yeah, well, obviously, that's what the point of this exercise is. The idea is to uh, establish an art routine. Also, art is fun, so in theory, the more art we do, the more fun we're having. It's easy for you to say. Does Sydney suggest anything? Oh, of course she does. Uh, sculpture, painting, comics, sort of more traditional illustration, perhaps, fiber arts. Okay, great, if you can do that stuff. It still sounds like a pretty steep mountain for me to climb. You're less precious with your ideas when you have to make something every day. And I think that's a great learning opportunity. It also enables you to use tools uh, and techniques that you might not normally feel comfortable doing for a commission or for a portfolio piece or for a personal project that's really important to you. It gives you room to play. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to um, when the weather picks up a little bit, Vancouver. Uh, going out and doing some plein air painting in oils. I haven't tried oils, you know, since I was knee high. Okay, I'm, well, hopefully I can come up with something. Yeah, I think, I think we can do this. You know what? I think we can pull this together. Are you with me? With. You are with me. With. This is not going to be too hard. Gentle listeners, 
Typically in the contest portion of our show, we record audio while we do our art to give an accurate impression of our process. This month, our artwork has spread so thinly that it infiltrated every aspect of our lives. We were making art at work. At home. On the road. Between commercials. And at breakfast. So it was quite impossible for us to record every moment of our process, especially since we created several items that didn't make their way into the final judging. Indeed. We chose only the best five examples of our work to submit to Sydney at the end of our 30 days. So to offer you an idea of what our processes may have sounded like, Moss and I have prepared a short scene which we believe is rife with verisimilitude. Rife! Let's do this. Let's get out there. Let's record some audio and let's just get producing. Creek! Honey, I'm home. Happy birthday, dear. How was the office? We sold everything. Isn't that a peach? Here you are, dear. I made you a card. My goodness. It is a lovely card. But when did you make it? <gasps> flashback, 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 flashback. Moss's birthday is coming up. I must make him a card. Perhaps it can even be a part of this accursed art challenge that the devilish Sydney Bristow, Moore. that Sydney Moore has set upon us. But since I have all month to worry about it, I surely don't need to do it today. Time passes. Oh dear, Moss's birthday is tomorrow. Also, I appear to have wasted a week at the contest without making anything. Yikes! Better get to work. I'll just take some construction paper and make a beautiful papercraft card depicting a scene of the Similkameen Valley, resplendent with mountains that certainly don't look like a butt. See episode six for more information on butt mountains. <laughs> oh dear, it seems I've dropped some construction paper next to this cardboard box that held a desk chair I bought for Moss's birthday. Something he deserves since he spends so much time in front of the computer editing audio and cutting out all of Taylor's weird pauses and strange... I don't want to read this. This construction paper next to the box gives me an idea. An idea for art. Bum, bum, bum. bum. <laughs> meanwhile, shh, meanwhile, I have a taste for apples, but no <laughs> apples are to be found. Perhaps someone baked them into a cobbler. <laughs> Perhaps someone baked them into a cobbler for my birthday. I suppose I'll have to paint one in pastels, since apparently using pastels is still called painting, although it is not done this with isn't paint. This is working. Stop. What? This scene is stupid. I'm calling it off. <laughs> no, it's not. I think this is working really well. You just have to commit. Contest time! No, the scene is working! Contest this time! Contest time! This month, I produced five spectacular pieces of art. Some of them you've already heard of, but let me tell you about them in more detail. The first was an apple cobbler with ginger whipped cream for Moss's birthday. It had a swirl of chocolate painted on top of the biscuit topping, and it tasted freaking delicious. The second was a photograph tastefully shot, of the Canadian-American border on a lonely road in the middle of British Columbia. I call it the Road to Canada, because it's the Road to Canada. The third was a pastel painting of an owl, looking all fat and satisfied as he sits on a branch. 
The fourth was the famous papercraft card for Moss that has no butts, uh, in which I used texture paper to show mountains overlooking a stream and a tent, with the stream slightly elevated from the card to show shadow and depth and fanciness. And finally, and most excitingly, I transformed a large cardboard box into a mighty sailing vessel. I crafted a sail out of a paper tube and some tissue, plated the hull in white paper with drawn-on rivets, and I created a spray of blue water at the front out of construction paper. The goal of this box-turned-boat is for Moss to sit in while he watches TV and pretend he's a pirate. The boat is named the Forever Pirate. My entries this month are also fivefold. I began by painting an apple from memory in pastels. It looked quite good, because I was able to remember what an apple looks like. Next, in a rather slow process, I fletched a dozen arrows. While this was not a strictly creative enterprise so much as it was a constructive activity, I still put it in here because gluing 36 parabolic colored feathers onto 12 alloy and carbon shaft arrows it takes a lot longer than most people would expect, and I want credit for it. Third, I created a map out of a tarp. For a friend's bachelor party, we're going camping, and we will be playing Axis and Allies on this trip. So I reproduced an Axis and Allies map on a 6x8 tarp that we can use for shelter. Oh my god, we're in Canada. Uh, 6x8 is in feet. I don't know how to convert it to meters. Damn it. It's a medium-sized tarp. A medium-sized tarp that we can use for shelter as well as for playing this game on. It's an approximate map, not to be used for global navigation. Uh, I did briefly forget that Nova Scotia was in Canada, but I did eventually realize and correct my error. It's barely in Canada. Fourth, I painted a bit on my Buddha board, which is a paper slab that you paint on using plain water and a bamboo brush. A beautiful calligraphic painting appears before your eyes as you brush, and then it quickly fades as the water dries. I painted a tree and a sun and some grass. I painted a lot of things, but this is the one thing that I photographed. Lastly, for my work that I do at Inkmeep Cellars Winery, I wrote and formatted a tasting sheet for the available wines. Again, since this took a fair chunk of time, I chose to include it here, boasting both the elegance of writing, in which I describe such flavors as rich rhubarb and field strawberry on the nose, leading into soft vanilla spice, as well as the very careful formatting. Totally unfair, by the way, including something you did for work. Uh, Well, half your projects were for my birthday. Would you rather I made you nothing? Let's let Sydney settle this. Sid? Oh my god, this is awesome. Apple cobbler. So we've got like some sort of delicious looking crumble. It looks wonderful. I like the little flourish at the top with the little chocolate drizzle. Oh, I'm a sucker for anything ginger. Photo of the border. That is the cutest border crossing I think I've ever seen. Pastel owl. He looks, he looks quite uh, quite content. Papercraft card. That's so cute. I love the little, it's like a little tent in front of mountains. I like the, the textured paper on the mountains. The Forever Pirate. Okay, this is amazing. You can't waste a good box. And there's like riveting or there's like some really wonderful detail. <laughs> That's so great. All right, well, I've never met Taylor, but she's officially awesome. Pastel Apple. So this wasn't from life? Oh, well, I'm I'm quite impressed then. Got some nice shading on there. I assumed that there was a little still life. I like, like you've even got like the stem getting bigger at the top like that. Fletching Arrows. Oh, cool. Tart map. I like how it's non-North uh, American centric. 
Buddha board. Well, I've always been pretty enamored with these. We had like testing paper at the art supply store that I worked at. I, I played with those a lot. Tasting notes. Everything sounds really awesome. You certainly, uh, you sold me. I'm not even a good wine drinker. I'm really a fan of that little fish too. I don't know why. It just, so I have to judge these as like a body of all oh, hell. Oh dear. All right. Wow. You guys both did a really good job. I'm impressed that I don't think either of you really, aside from the pastels, I guess, they're, they're even like unique from each other. It's super interesting. I'm really digging all the different, the different presentations and everything. Um, well, you know, that boat is pretty sweet. I'm going to give this one to Taylor. Yay! No, no! No! She was so happy I did it! Oh. I made the best things. I don't know, but I mean, she liked yours the best, but... I made the best things! I made the best things! I really like, like, the little details that she put in, like, the little, like, rivets on the boat and the portholes and, like, the little elevated bit on the paper and that owl's little expression is just adorable. And ginger whipped cream. Need I say more? Since most of it was for my birthday, I can't be too blue about this loss. That cobbler was really good, and I do love sitting inside that box. Uh, boat. 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 It's not a box. It's a boat. I'm 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 very impressed. the The work was really good. Uh, I did put in a lot of energy into mine, but I do admit that I think yours were more solidly uh, creative across the board. Well, folks. Thank you very much for coming to my first winning episode in, what, three? Is it three? Is it four? Four. I think yeah. it's four episodes. Well, I'm back on a roll. Can you roll with one? I'm, I'm on a roll, yeah. Here, this is, this is technically radio, I guess, but here I'm, I'm placing a crown on Taylor's head. There you go. The winning crown. Watch out, Moss. I'm just tumbling down this hill. I've lost control of my faculties, and I'm careening straight towards you. Oh my goodness. So depictive. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. We really appreciate everyone who downloads and listens to this podcast. Remember, you can listen to us either through iTunes. Where you can also rate and review our podcast, which we highly stress that you do. And also on our website at makeitpodcast.wordpress.com. And this is the very website where we'll be posting images of our myriad projects for this month's contest. We'd like to thank Sydney Moore for coming on the show this month. It was fantastic to hear her story, and we wish her the best of luck farming in Ontario. Yeah, we really appreciate it. It was really good to talk to her, and we're really sorry that we're just kind of getting to know her right as she's moving away. And thanks so much for inviting me to be a part of this. This is really awesome, and I'm looking forward to listening to future episodes, because I really like what you guys are doing. Her work used to be available at s'more.ca, but that site was, among other things, unfortunately hacked by a Muslim cyber army, which is a pity. But now you can see her work and follow along with her various 30 Days projects at sidmore, that's S-Y-D-M-O-R-E, dot tumblr dot com. Oh, and a very special thank you to... Nobuo Uematsu. <laughs> The composer who wrote the score for Final Fantasy. We appreciate him not telling Square that uh, Moss used his music here. So, Moss, should we retire from this disgustingly hot office and into the air-conditioned living room? (laughs) Have a good one, folks. Have a great one. I broke my headset when I threw it on the ground.
Make it.